You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to continue in the book of Acts, so let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 13. Uh, We have been working verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this New Testament book, and today we find ourselves looking at Acts 13, 1 through 12. So thank you all again for joining us this morning as we continue to meet outdoors. Uh, But let me encourage you to keep a close eye on your your email this week. We are working on plans on trying to get back indoors, possibly by next week. And so we're working with CCS to see exactly how all that will transpire and how we can practice good social distancing in an enclosed space. So there's a, a lot of issues the elders are thinking through and communicating about. So we hope to have some sort of uh, announcement this week, kind of letting you know the, the plans for moving back indoors and kind of the timeline for that. So keep a close eye, of course, on your email and on Slack and uh, Facebook and all those sorts of things. We'll try to clearly communicate the plans are, but today we are meeting outdoors and we've got a little bit of cloud cover to, to keep the, the strong heat from of the sun off of our heads and, of, and off of our iPads. So we're thankful for that. Uh, but let me go ahead and look at Acts chapter 13. Let me read God's word for us and we will pray and then ask God for help and, and dive into God's word. So Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands, uh, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, a magician, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful, Lord, for your word. So profitable, Lord, for the building up of your church. 
And God, as we continue to, to study the book of Acts, Lord, we are so challenged, Lord, by the devotion of these first Christians to seeing the gospel spread to the ends of the earth, Lord, even in the midst of great challenges and hardships and persecutions. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, for us as Redemption Church, Lord, that we would be a people, Lord, zealous for the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, that we would proclaim the good news of Christ to everyone and anyone, Lord, not just here today in this parking lot, but, Lord, around the city of Wilson and, Lord, indeed, around the world. Father, we pray that you would help us to have a zeal for, for Christ that extends around the globe, even in this small local church called Redemption Church. So, Father, we pray that you would give us a heart for the nations, and, Lord, that, Spirit, you would lead us to fulfill the Great Commission. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So most historians suggest that the modern missions movement began with William Carey. You might have heard that name before. William Carey, who was sent out uh, by, uh, by the Baptist in England. So ba Carey was sent out by the newly formed Ma Baptist Mission Society in 1793 to India. And indeed, Carey's travels and his lifelong work in India inspired so many others to go around the world to proclaim the name of Christ. It sparked the global missions movement, a work that continues to this day with so many missionaries around the world picking up the legacy of William Carey. So Carey was consumed with a passion to see all the world know and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Carey journaled in 1794. This is what he wrote. Oh, what is there in all the world worth living for but the presence and service of God? I feel a burning desire that all the world may know this God and serve him. You see, just as William Carey experienced and so many other missionaries around the world today experienced, the Spirit gave him a burning desire in his heart, a passion for God's glory and name to be known throughout the earth. And so just as Carey experienced the Holy Spirit's calling and that burning desire to go, so too does the Holy Spirit call us to be about the work of the gospel as Christians. Throughout the history of the church, the Holy Spirit has worked in and through the church to mobilize them for the advancement of the gospel. So, so far, if you've been with us as we've studied the book of Acts, we have seen that, that cross-cultural missions has happened spontaneously so far as God has intervened in supernatural ways. So the Jerusalem persecution spread the church throughout Judea and Samaria taking the gospel to those regions. The conversion of the Gentile Cornelius that we've seen happen in the book of Acts happened by the supernatural prompting of the apostle Peter to go and meet up with Cornelius. So as Gentiles came to faith in Antioch, we've seen Antioch, that church get started as Christians were scattered there. This multi-ethnic church plant birthed organically. It just sort of happened. However, the church of Antioch as we see in the text before us today, this is the first that we see any local church put forth an intentional plan and effort to take the gospel to unreached 
people, unreached areas by sending the first missions team, Paul and Barnabas. So the spirit worked in the church of Antioch to spur and to begin global missions. So the Holy Spirit calls you and I to the same task. As we look to Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 12, we will, we will structure the sermon today as we go through the text by looking at the specific mentions of how the Holy Spirit is working in the start of this missions team. So if you paid careful attention to the text there, you'll notice that there are three different mentions of the Holy Spirit in these 13 verses. And indeed, those mentions of the Holy Spirit are going to structure how we see the Holy Spirit works to directly initiate and empower the work of Christian missions. So here's the sermon summary if you want to jot it down. The Holy Spirit mobilizes us and empowers us for mission. The Holy Spirit mobilizes us and empowers us for mission. So let's look at these first three verses in the text here at how the Spirit calls. The Spirit calls. That's the first thing I want to highlight for us this morning. So after the, the church of Antioch collected relief money for the Jerusalem church, we're told that they sent Saul and Barnabas with a gift. And then we read about, of course, the prison escape and Herod's death of Peter as Peter escaped from prison. And then at the end of that, that chapter, Luke tells us that Saul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, bringing with them this guy named John Mark, who's going to come up a little bit later and actually be a source of friction between Paul and Barnabas later on in the book of Acts. But Luke is letting us know that he's along with them. So at the start of chapter 13, Luke introduces us to some of the other leaders at the church plant in Antioch, prophets and teachers. So these five men that Luke mentions appear to be functioning like the elders in the church of Antioch. Though Luke doesn't spell out exactly what all their specific responsibilities are, these men seem to be taking the lead of public ministry and teaching in the church. So what's remarkable about these five men is the diversity that makes up their leadership. Did you notice how Luke mentions where all these guys came from, their, their background. It's absolutely fascinating. Barnabas was a Cyprian Jew. Simeon was called Niger, which means black or dark. And so he was most likely from Africa and had dark skin. Lucius came from Serene and North Africa. Menean grew up in Herod's court in an affluent and upper class sort of lifestyle. And then you have Saul, the the Hebrew of Hebrews, as he calls himself in the epistles. So at Antioch, we get a beautiful picture here, a snapshot of the sort of ethnic diversity that is birthed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we read from Ephesians earlier this morning, right? Christ tears down the dividing wall of racial tensions by his blood. And again, as we think about the, the tragic death of George Floyd, our country has rightly been appalled and our black brothers and sisters have ached and groaned and yet another injustice afflicted. So racism has been an open wound in our country since its inception. And we still have a long ways to go as a country to, to gain an understanding of that tension and to seek justice. 
However, while our country teeters on the unrest with these protests over Floyd's death, I believe that that Antioch in our text here shows us the power of the gospel in unifying people from different ethnicities and backgrounds. You know, sadly, as we look at the, the leadership of the church today, Antioch stands out as a bit unusual. It shouldn't be, but it, it does. To see this sort of multi-ethnic leadership team in the church, you'd be hard-pressed to find that in the church in America today, to our shame. So, so we see that this diversity was produced by the unity they shared in the gospel. They had a united understanding of how Jesus is the Savior of all and how Jesus makes us brothers and sisters. He makes us family, even though we come from different cultures and even though our skin tone might be different. Whatever healing our country needs today, I'm convinced only the blood of Christ can do it. So as we consider the the ethnic diversity that made up this leadership team here in Antioch, is it then surprising that the spirit would lead this multi-ethnic leadership team to be the first ones to launch an intentional and cross-cultural missions effort? I don't think it is surprising. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Of course, these men who come from all over the known world at the time are going to have a passion for unreached peoples in unreached lands. So the Holy Spirit would lead the church at Antioch to, to send out Paul and Barnabas. <coughs> Excuse me. But the Spirit's call for Paul and Barnabas came within the context of worship and prayer. And they were fasting, Luke tells us. And, and fasting, again, shows how earnestly they were devoted in seeking the Lord and the Spirit tends to lead us when we pursue God most fervently. He'll lead you and I in the same way. When we seek him most intensely, most passionately, that's often when we'll hear the guiding voice of the Holy Spirit most clearly. So while they worship the Spirit called Barnabas and Saul to be set apart for this work of going and spreading and taking the gospel to unreached lands, So healthy churches send out their best leaders for the work of the Great Commission. Both Barnabas and Saul, these these were not just random guys in the church. These were proven and trusted leaders. So the very ones that you think might be the most devastating for the church of Antioch to lose, they were the ones that the Spirit called to go. God often demands that his church sends out their best people, their most gifted leaders for the work of the Great Commission. We see here that we must be open-handed, generous with the gifted men and women that the Lord has blessed us with in the local church, that we train the saints, we equip them, we edify them, and then we release them for the global work of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is much bigger than any one local church. And at Redemption Church, there will come a time when we will have the privilege to send out the best of our own for the cause of Christ. And when the Spirit calls us to do just that, we should gladly send them. 
whether it's to, to send out a group of us to go start a new church plant on the other side of our city, whether it's to, to raise up a, a missionary within our church and send them overseas, whether it's to send out a group of our number to go help out a dying church on the end of the, of the city to revitalize it and to begin a new work that more people might be reached in our city and our county. When God calls us to do that, we should respond with joy and gladness. We should be generous to other churches by training our members and sending them out for Christ. I don't need that. It's okay. <laughs> so, so we should be generous. So also notice that how the Spirit's call for us to go on mission is so connected to the local church. Isn't that fascinating? You know, missions agencies and church planning networks are so very helpful today, and we should thank God for them, and they can be of great help. But notice here in Antioch that it is the local church that takes the initiative here. It is the local church that does the assessing. It is the local church that does the sending. Indeed, it is the, the calling of Barnabas and Saul to go. It came from within the context of the local church, and the missionary mandate was given to the local church. See, one thing I think we have to be so very careful of is it's easy to try to outsource the work of the Great Commission to mission agencies and church planting networks. But they're just there to help the local church do the task that it's been given. The Great Commission has been given to us, to the local church, and the local church ought to be the one taking initiative and raising up missionaries, raising up church planters, and then working within those existing networks and agencies to help mobilize them for the cause of Christ. This is the way it ought to be. So as I've seen young men and young women wrestle with the call to ministry, sometimes I'm a little concerned about how subjective and personal that sense of calling might be. In fact, it's often an, an emotional sort of appeal, right? I feel like I'm called to be the pastor, or I feel like I'm called to go overseas to be a missionary. And often that can be very helpful. And that's often the way God can initially stir the promptings to, to some sort of ministry like this. But often that sense of calling, I've noticed, is beginning to emerge completely disconnected from their local church. And without the discernment and the guidance and the affirmation of their church. You see, the Spirit called Paul and, Bar Paul and Barnabas to this work because they've been proven faithful workers in the life of the church. So if you sense a call to Christian ministry, I would urge you to get active, get involved in the ministries of your local church and let your church train you. Let your church assess you. Let your church help you affirm your calling, but also direct your calling. You see, at Redemption Church, we long to, to raise up Christian leaders and joyfully send them out for the cause of Christ. And the local church can be such a helpful gift in helping us narrow and direct us in that calling. I remember when I was first getting started in ministry, I knew I was in college. I had a desire to do ministry. I had no idea what that would look like. I just knew I wanted to serve the Lord in some ways. But as I was serving in my local church, and as I began to have more and more teaching opportunities, it was largely the people within that congregation 
and the leaders of that congregation that began to affirm not only a pastoral gifting, but a pastoral calling. And I thank God for the voices of God's people that helped me discern God's calling upon my life. And that's the gift of the local church. That's what we see happening right here in Antioch. And so after the the Spirit called these two men, the church fasted, the church prayed, the church laid their hands upon them and sent them out commissioning them for missionary servants. So we see that the Spirit calls Paul and Barnabas to go. Secondly, we see the Spirit sends. The Spirit sends. The Spirit calls, the Spirit sends. We see this particularly in verse 4 and 5. So Barnabas and Saul embarked on their first missionary journey. Antioch wasn't too far away from the coast of the Mediterranean. So they traveled down to Seleucia and set sail for the island of Cyprus. So the journey to Cyprus was about 60 miles. And this is a large island in the Mediterranean, about 140 miles by 60 miles in in size. And Cyprus was annexed by the Romans and was an important economic source for the economy of Rome due to its copper mines. And so even though it was originally settled by Greek-speaking people, it had a large Jewish population, and it had several synagogues on this island. So starting the mission work in Cyprus makes good common sense when you think about it. Many of the Christians in Antioch had family ties to Cyprus, including Barnabas himself. That's where he came from. So the the island was the perfect spot to begin this sort of cross-cultural missionary effort. The large Jewish population and the familiarity Barnabas would have had with the island made it a great starting point for kind of working out their mission strategy and trying to figure out how they're doing this whole missions thing. Plus, I suspected Barnabas had a longing to hear his own people hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he goes back to them as a missionary. So regardless of the other factors that made them begin with this island, we see that the Holy Spirit sent them, the text says. The Holy Spirit sent them. We go where the Spirit compels us to go. So the missionary team arrived. We're told that John Mark is with them, who had come with them from Jerusalem. He was also sent out with these two lead missionaries to be an assistant. And even though Paul and Barnabas lead the expedition, I'm sure John Mark provided support as well as doing some of the ministry himself. After all, cross-cultural missions is a team project, right? There are no lone rangers when it comes to this kind of stuff. You need a team of people to help you, whether you're planting a church or whether you're going overseas as a missionary. So the missions team that is sent out to Cyprus, they utilize the strategy that, that Paul would implement and use for the rest of his missionary career. Whenever he arrived in a new place, he would start in the Jewish synagogue. He'd start in the synagogue because the synagogue was sort of like a Jewish community center for the the area. With Jews that were scattered all over the world, the synagogue became the place for the people to gather when they couldn't travel all the way to Jerusalem to go to the temple. So it was a kind of a community center, a place for teaching, for prayer, for, for community with other Jewish people in a foreign place. And so the synagogue provided the perfect opportunity for the missionaries, right? They were, Paul was a Jewish guy. He could come in and he could get connected to the synagogue there. It's a public space for the work of proclaiming the gospel. And so that's exactly what they did. They went to the synagogues 
And the Apostle Paul began his lecture series on Jesus the Messiah from the Old Testament. And he started teaching and proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. So the missions team began, Luke says, on the east side of the island in the city of Salamis. And it appears that they really didn't have much opposition in Cyprus. In fact, they were largely well-received until they encountered the pagan magician, which we'll talk about more in just a second. However, we have to take note that how the Spirit of God had sent them to Cyprus. Notice again how Luke emphasizes the activity of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit sent them, so does the Holy Spirit send us. And we see that being a Spirit-led missionary doesn't mitigate strategy and planning, right? You can be Spirit-filled and still have a plan. And though sometimes the Spirit will lead in ways that doesn't always make sense with our plans, most often the Spirit sends and works through the intentional planning and coordination of His church. Not only did Cyprus provide a good starting point, but the team had developed an effective missionary strategy and reaching the, the, the country of Cyprus through the synagogues. And that's a strategy that they would copy and paste from one city to the next, as we will see throughout the book of Acts. So not all of us will be raised up and sent out for the purpose of cross-cultural missions. We are all called, though, no matter whether we go overseas or not, we are all called to reach those around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we hope to reach the city of Wilson with the gospel, I think that you and I ought to create some intentional strategies as a church, as individuals, for how we can be about the work of the Great Commission. In the same way that we need plans and disciplines when it comes to our own personal habits of scripture reading and prayer, it's also a good idea to begin thinking, how can I implement and plan a way in which I can be about the Great Commission in my life? And I think one of the strategies that we can borrow from this first missions team is to find a place where non-Christian people gather and go there. That's a simple mission strategy. Find a place where people gather that don't know the Lord and go there. Hang out. Be a part of that community. And so Wilson doesn't have a lot of synagogues, to my knowledge, right? You can't replicate it one-to-one by going into synagogues like Paul. But there are many places where people gather, particularly under normal, non-pandemic circumstances, right? So as these things begin to open up, you can begin to think through, where, what are those places where people gather in our community? Maybe you can go to a coffee shop. Maybe you can frequent the same golf course every week. Maybe you can find a group that gathers around a particular hobby or interest. Maybe you can join a sports team put on by Wilson Parks and Rec. You see, we have to think through ways in which we can get outside of our Christian bubble and enter into the communities in our city that are already gathering and go and be a part of them, but go and be a part of them with great commission intentionality and gospel purposes. Be strategic, be intentional, find another brother and sister in the church and say, hey, let's plan on doing this together as a team, Paul and Barnabas style, right? Let's do this together. Say something like, all right, we're going to go 
to the YMCA whenever it opens back up, right? We're going to go to the YMCA. We're going to go to the same class together at the same time every week. And we're going to go and we're going to break a sweat, but we're going to go with the gospel. I'm going to go not just to work out, but I'm going to go to try and build relationships with those who don't know the Lord and go as the spirit sends you, but go with intentionality and gospel purposes. God is calling all of us. He's sending us out. How is the spirit sending you? Maybe overseas, but maybe just right here in this city. So let's think thirdly, how the spirit empowers. See, the spirit calls, the spirit sends. Thirdly, the spirit empowers. And we see this in verse six through 12. So overall, the mission's work in Cyprus has gone really smoothly. The team has traveled through the island. They're proclaiming Christ. They've not encountered any challenge until they encounter this magician named Bar-Jesus or Elimus. So Barnabas and Paul had made a stir on the island of Cyprus, and the Roman proconsul Sergius Paulus, he wasn't offended by it. In fact, he was kind of curious. He wanted to hear for himself. What is this teaching that everybody's talking about, this gospel? So he summoned the missionaries in order to hear their message. What an opportunity. Paul and Barnabas have an opportunity to go before this Roman official, and he's like, tell me what you guys are talking about. I want to hear it. Share the gospel with me. I want to hear it. But as he, they go and do that, as they share the gospel, we're told that this magician is there, and this magician is opposing the gospel, and he's actually trying to, to seek to, to turn the proconsul away from the gospel. Now, in verse 9, Saul, who now goes by the name of Paul, Luke tells us, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he rebukes the magician. And here we see Paul's feisty side come out, right? Filled by the Spirit, he says, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to speak for a time. And after the rebuke, we're told that darkness fell upon the magician. He was unable to see it. He began looking for the guide. And we see at the rebuke of Paul, the spiritually blind became the physically blind. You see, the spirit-empowered moment was an important moment in the life of Paul. And again, notice, notice how Luke emphasizes the working of the spirit here, right? It was at this moment that it became evident that the Lord had uniquely gifted and called Paul for this missionary work. Notice the, the shift. There's a shift that happens here at this event, at this rebuke. At this occasion, Luke chooses to introduce us to the name change from Saul, the Pharisee, to now Paul, the missionary. There's a name change that takes place here. And after Luke, after this passage, Luke begins to change the way he speaks about Paul, now calling him Paul instead of Saul but also in the way that he speaks about the missions team. After Cyprus, excuse me, look back in verse two. In verse two, they're sent out as Barnabas and Saul. Now look at verse 13. After Cyprus, Luke in verse 13 calls them Paul and his companions. Notice the way Luke's changed by talking about this team, right? The Lord had uniquely gifted Paul for this missionary work. The Lord had uniquely empowered him with the Holy Spirit. You see, after the magician is struck with blindness, 
Paul takes the leading role in the missions team. And even though Barnabas was gifted in his own way, he rejoiced in the giftings of his brother, Paul. The mentor has been surpassed by the giftings of his protege. And Barnabas didn't get mad about it, didn't get frustrated. He rejoiced in letting his brother Paul, who has been so extraordinarily gifted by God, he gladly let Paul take the lead. But notice how the Holy Spirit is at work in verse 9, right? Look at what the text says. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, as Christians, we ought not to be insecure in our gifting, let alone jealous of other Christians and their gifting. After all, every gift that we have in the Christian life doesn't come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And often, if you're like me, you can begin to find your, your heart almost in, in jealous envy over another one who is more gifted than you. And in vanity and pride, we can begin to exalt ourselves and begin to cling to our positions and our responsibilities in the church purely out of selfish motives. That's my ministry. This is my area. This is my gifting. But notice how absolutely carnal that is, how self-focused, how self-absorbed that is. After all, Christ doesn't give us gifts for our own affirmation, but he gives us our gifts to serve the church. Our giftings have never been about us, nor will they ever be. They're always about God's people and building up the church. So rather than seeing my, my brother's gifts as a blessing, we instead begin to see my other brother's giftings as a threat to my own ego. That's, that's a shame. But that's not the way Barnabas operates. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. And he was happy to take the back seat to Paul after all, the gospel was about God's glory, not about Barnabas. So the Spirit empowers you and I in different ways. We will be gifted in different giftings and in different intensities of those giftings. And as the Spirit empowers us in different ways, we should get our pride out of the way and we should guide counsel, mentor, and support the diversified gifts of the body and the varying intensities of those gifts. So Paul rebukes the magician by the Spirit's power, and that rebuke only attested to the power of the resurrected Christ over the dark art of the magicians. So the message of salvation found only in Jesus was verified by this miraculous rebuke. So the proconsul, who had been so eager to hear the gospel, after seeing the rebuke that Paul gave this magician, he comes to believe in the Lord after seeing this magician struck with blindness. And Christ has indeed died for our sins. This is the gospel message, that anyone who would repent of their sins and trust in Jesus will have eternal life. And perhaps this morning you are a lot like that, that blind magician. Right? You might not be blind physically, but you are blind spiritually. And let me urge you, do not make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. The way of salvation is simple. It's simple. We ought not to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Place your faith in Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. Don't protest. Don't argue like the magician, but with eagerness and humility, believe in the message of salvation found in Jesus. 
And as we who are called by the Spirit, so are we sent by the Spirit, and so are we empowered by the Spirit. And Christ has given us the helper of his Spirit to enable us to fulfill our calling and to proclaim his gospel. Going back to William Carey. William Carey preached (coughs) his famous sermon. It's a mouthful of a sermon. An inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means in the conversion of the heathen. It's quite a sermon title, right? Here's what he said. If it be the duty of all men when the gospel comes to believe unto salvation, then it is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor to make it known among all the nations for the obedience of faith. You see, as Christians, we have the responsibility to take the message of Christ to the nations. Christ is the King. He is the Son of God who by his own blood saves sinners like us. And so there is no other name by which men and women can be saved. And so because Jesus is the only way for salvation, it is imperative that we proclaim this way of salvation to the world and to call people to repent and to put their faith in Jesus. In fact, if you're not a Christian today, I preach the gospel to you and I implore you to confess your sins, repent of them, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith as your only Savior. If you want to know more about how you can have salvation in Jesus, talk with someone after church. Come find me. We would love to introduce you to Jesus this morning. However, as the church, we must remember that the Spirit is at work among us. The Spirit is mobilizing us for His mission. And he's empowering us to proclaim the truth of Christ. So to every Christian here this morning, I ask, where is the Spirit sending you? Let's pray together. Father, as we gather, would we gather in faith and hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And Lord, we gather believing that your Spirit is at work among us. Father, I pray for every Christian here, Lord, that they would give careful thought and examination of their own heart to see how they can be a part of the work of the Great Commission where they are. Lord Spirit, how you might be leading them and sending them. But Father, above all, I pray for those who don't know the Lord this morning. Father, I pray that they would hear the gospel, that they would repent, that they would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.